0: This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by New Relic, observability made simple. This week, I chat with Buddy Brewer about full stack observability with the New Relic Explorer. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 90. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today I'm chatting with Buddy Brewer. Hey, Buddy, thanks for joining me. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for having me. So you are a field CTO at New Relic, so I'd love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what's new with New Relic.
1: Yeah, so i uh, been with New Relic for a couple of years now, and in this field CTO role, I get to spend lots of time with our customers to help them get long-term value out of our observability platform. You know, I'm a, a, an engineer by trade, started my career as a, as a software developer, like many of our customers in New Relic. Um, spent substantially all of my career in, in product development in various capacities, engineering, leading engineering teams, product management. And like I said, now I, I spend most of my time with customers um, you know, helping them tackle their own observability challenges in, in their businesses. Uh, we're doing a lot right now with New Relic to help people make sense out of the volume of data and to help people pull all of the different types of metrics, events, logs, and traces that go into all this observability into views that they can actually use to help their customers get better experiences in a world where software architectures are just be they're just becoming more complex by the month Right. Well, awesome. Well, first of all, I want to thank New Relic for sponsoring this
0: episode um, and for just the amazing amount of support that they uh, they uh, you know give to us here at Serverless Chats and what we do. So thank you very much for for that. Um, now you mentioned you know these tools that you're working on to uh, you know to be able to observe modern applications. Uh, and the new tool that was recently launched is the New Relic Explorer, which I've looked at this thing. This is Absolutely fascinating. It does all kinds of really great things. But I'd love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit more about that product.
1: Yeah, it's part of our full-stack observability product in uh, the New Relic One platform. And so it's an in-place upgrade that everyone who uses full-stack observability today gets. And what it does is it takes all of the information across all of the different dimensions that people are used to seeing in New Relic One, Uh, pulls them together into new views that help people make sense at a macro level of what's going on in the health of their software across all of the dimensions that matter today. So, you know, infrastructure, front end, the uh, application logic, all of that stuff in single views. And then there's another part of New Relic Explorer that helps people understand in real time what the key changes are that are happening. In a way that requires zero configuration, which uh, is really important to our customers today because the software architectures and the underlying containers and everything that serve those are changing so fast that people just don't have time to manually configure things today like they used to be able to.
0: Yeah, right. And and one of the things too with cloud infrastructures, you you've got all this telemetry data coming in from all these different places. Um, and most of the time, I mean, I know at least what I had been doing is using a bunch of different dashboards and you know basically jumping between different things, trying to figure out you know what's what's healthy, what's not healthy. Um, and I love these new views that are in the New Relic Explorer because it actually shows you like the changing, like if a problem is getting worse and worse and worse, it like gives you this like growing. Bubble, like so. These visualizations are really, really helpful. So I think that's the that's Lookout, right? That does that. that. That's right.
1: Yeah, that's Lookout. The way that I think of Lookout is, imagine if you could take something like the Unix diff command and apply it to all of your telemetry data, comparing now versus any point in the past, and then. But the you know, whereas the Unix diff command is uh, a a text, you know, kind of console rendering. What Lookout does is it renders all of this in a visual display in a web browser so that you can see, like you said, you have these bubbles that, that really display two dimensions at the same time. The volume of data, whatever it is that you're looking at for a piece of data, a lot of people mm-hmm. use this to visualize changes in errors or throughput or latency, but it could also be order volume or, you know, it, really any any metric that you want. That's the first dimension, and then the second dimension is the magnitude of changes, right? Um, right. What it helps you do is to zero in not just on the things that are red, because in environments where folks have you know thousands or even tens of thousands for some of our enterprise customers, containers running on any given day, the nature of that design and the fault tolerance inherent in that architecture ensures that on any given day, there's going to be stuff that's red, right? So if right. a customer calls in about a problem, you log in, you see some things that are red. Well, some of that stuff was red yesterday. What Lookout helps you do is to focus specifically on those things that changed from healthy to not healthy around the same time as a customer impacting problem. And then you can see all of the different pieces that also correlate to those changes. So you could pull it all out uh, and focus just on the things that matter.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's super helpful because again, it's one of those things where I mean, I've worked as an SRE in the past, and you know, you get this these constant errors sometimes that keep coming up, and they're just kind of there. Um, but it's sometimes it's the severity of the errors. It's how bad was it yesterday versus how bad is it today. Of course, we wouldn't leave a problem that long, but seeing those changes over time and seeing sort of that growing bit of it, I think is just incredibly helpful, um, you know, from that sort of global view standpoint. And then the other thing that's part of this, uh, which I think is Another really cool representation um, is the navigator piece. And this basically uses like a stop sign, a yellow or you know a red, yellow and green sort of uh, uh, I guess uh, um, what is it a hexagonal or whatever an octagon yeah. or something like that, yeah. but basically yeah. shows these little these little blocks that that show you what's healthy and what's not healthy, and then you can dive down into each one of those to see more
1: detail. That's right. And what we did was we designed that view to pack an order of magnitude more information density into a screen uh, compared to the view that we had prior to this. Uh, Those views continue to be part of the product. But again, this New Relic uh, Explorer is an in-place upgrade that everyone gets that you can use in addition to all the things that you already have with New Relic. But the, the first piece is that order of magnitude more information density on a screen. The other thing that it does is summarizes all of this in a way that you can use it as, You think of it like the new mission control for New Relic, right? So for your your game day dashboard on the major event that you knew was gonna, you know, that was coming, and you wanted to be a hundred percent situationally aware about everything going on in your software when that happens. Whether it's a major advertising campaign that you expect to bring a lot of traffic to your site, or it's a big calendar event that you know, or major event in the news if you're in media or something like that 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 mission control that allows you to see everything in a single view and then we have some flexibility where you can customize that view or create multiples of them that align to specific teams we call this workloads so mm-hmm. you can you can take the different workloads that are running in your in your architecture all of its constituent pieces from the front end components, the back end components, the infrastructure, all of it, uh, you can visualize in a single view that aligns to specific teams that work on them. So everyone can get their own tailored mission control. And then another piece of all of this, because the the everything that I've talked about so far has been this extremely high altitude look mm-hmm. at what's going on in the software, which you need, but... As soon as something you know you notice something that requires you to take action, you very quickly need to switch to a lower altitude right And so one of the things that we built into um, New Relic navigator is this concept of related entities. So an entity for us is any component in your architecture that makes your software go whether it's a docker container or some other piece of infrastructure or it's a web application that's you know built in JavaScript or it's backend logic written in node or go or PHP or anything. Those are all of those individual discrete components we call those entities. They all have a health condition and alert status. They can have events, logs, and traces that are associated with all of them. But one of the things that is a really critical piece of data that we have at New Relic that uh, this release helps to expose is the relationships between all of those. Right. So it's, it's, it's not just a simple linear relationship or even a tree structure. It's a connected graph of all of these different components. And so if one thing is red, the thing that you click on might not be the root cause. And the impact of it being read might not be limited to just the pieces that are connecting to that piece, right? Mm -hmm. There could be a number of other services that depend on it that are that are being sort of upstream or downstream impacted. And so every time you click on something, we show you all of the upstream and downstream relationships so you can follow it. What you used to have to do is say, I'm gonna go see what's happening in the the application tier. And then you sort out what you can sort out. And then you had to kind of pop out of that and then go into a different view and look right. at all of your front end and just stitch this together in your head. Or in the worst case, developers responding to problems had to load up five or six different tabs in their web browser and click back and forth between all of these different things. The related entities, New Relic Explorer, um, the the hexagons and Navigator, all of that stuff is designed to, to help people with that problem so that you can go straight to what the root cause is by just navigating the shortest path through that graph instead of having to pop out and start your search over again. Right.
0: Yeah, and I, I wish I only had to open four or five tabs. I mean, usually <laughs> it's a lot more than that. And you're searching through logs and trying to find that. Now, the other thing that's really cool, and I mean, there are a lot of distributed tracing uh, products out there now. And it's very, very cool where you can go and see sort of you know how data is moving through different components in your application, um, which is really, really helpful. But what's crazy, I think, about just this visualization in Navigator and Lookout and just everything that that uh, that New Relic has done, it gives you the ability to connect, like you said, through that graph. You know, multiple services that might be sharing things or different data coming from different places, and all of that stuff is instrumented pretty much automatically. I mean, depending on which which service you're using, but all of that stuff. It's not like you have to go in and. And instrument, all these little tiny bits, like this data is just being collected, these traces are being done, and then this really cool service just visualizes all of it for you.
1: That's right. It, you know, Full-stack observability, which is where this new functionality lives, um, like I mentioned, this isn't a new product. It's an enhancement to an existing one. Uh, Full-stack observability exists on top of another part of our platform, which we call the telemetry data platform. Uh, that we we've been building that for so many years we only we only in last july exposed it as its own product right. um you know priced really simply just on ingest uh and we have a free tier by the way that anybody can sign up for and you can ingest 100 gigabytes uh per month for free with no charge and one of the great things about the telemetry data platform is it's a it's a high volume scalable place to put all of your telemetry data agnostic to whether it's in a metric, or an event, or a log, or a trace. You can just put it all into this single platform, which is the first step that you have to do if you ever want to have a shot at tearing down all these silos between all the different pieces of information. So like take traces for an example. Um, Having the telemetry data platform enables us to do things like show logs in context, because the logs are in the same data store as all of the trace data. And so if you click on a trace, and even if you click on a span inside of the trace, then if you generated any log events that happened just during the context of that span of that trace, we can display it in line. So what you used to have to do is you had to go into a different tab in your web browser right. and start over again, and maybe try to use a uh, some kind of a of a trace ID or span ID or something like that 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 was you hope was also indexed in your logging tool, and then you could go find it there. Having all of it inside of one data store means that if you're looking at something that's a particular type of data, like like a trace, you can see other types of related data, uh, like logs, in the same context and in the same view. Right.
0: Yeah, and and I think uh, an important question would be, you know, the simplification of this. I mean, everybody wants things to be simpler and have these, you know, really simple views and good ways to to represent and visualize their data. Um, but one of the things is that if you were an SRE or you were an ops person in the past, you probably were familiar with all these different tools that you were using, right? And you knew exactly what you needed to see and how different things ran uh, and stuff like that. But it's not just ops people. Or SREs, or people who are just always, you know, worried about the infrastructure that are impacted now by a lot of these changes, because I think we've we've made a big shift in the way that we develop applications and who's responsible, sort of, for the life cycle of those applications. So yeah. I'd love to kind of talk about that evolving role. I guess we would call them modern developers, maybe. Um, you know, that modern developers building for the cloud uh, and building these complex systems, like. What kinds of responsibilities do you think have shifted to them?
1: Yeah, it's interesting how the, the the nature of the role of software development has changed. I mean, I started my career, um, you know, 100% front end developer and specifically building tools for front end developers to reason about the health of the front end experience right mm-hmm. and then you had back end developers and you could kind of you could you know meet someone at these networking events and kind of <laughs> talk about which parts of the stack that you work on uh but but those lines are fading you know i mean we um there's a report that came out last year i think it was UBS compared how many developers identify as you know different types of developers, front-end engineer, yeah. back end engineer, et cetera? And the thing that was remarkable about it is specifically people who identified as a full stack engineer, right? 55% of the respondents identified as full stack engineers. Okay. So so more than half. Now in 20, 2015, five years ago, it was only 29%. Mm -hmm. So it's the majority and also the the fastest growing cohort of sort of engineering role. And that's how you end up with the situation we were talking about before where you've got so many tabs open in your browser (laughs) is because (laughs) all of these tools have been built for uh, specific slices of the application architecture, logging tools, front end analysis tools, back end analysis tools, infrastructure analysis tools, all of that Uh, full stack observability the The product that we offer with New Relic uh, aims at being a full stack analysis tool. And so again, in that in that single tab, you can see the relationships between all of these different tiers. And and we did that specifically in response to what we saw as this broader trend, um, both from the analysts, but also talking to our own customers and realizing you know, New Relic's been in this business uh, now for 13 years, started in 2008. So we've mm-hmm. seen a lot of this evolution firsthand among our customers. And they were asking us for this. They wanted simpler right. views that connected all of these different pieces together because You know, increasingly what happens, somebody gets a notification that there's a problem that they have to solve, and it's not just in a slice of the architecture. They're on a team that is designed to do everything that it takes to deliver a particular part of the customer experience. Right. So if something goes wrong with that experience, whether it's in the infrastructure tier, the application tier, the front end tier, they're accountable to finding it and fixing it. And so we're building tools to help people do that better.
0: Yeah, and I think that's interesting in terms of sort of that evolution, where um, even when you know, let's say, AWS sort of started with EC2s and things like that, the virtual machines, you know, back in two thousand eight, two thousand seven, somewhere around there. Um, yeah. You know, you, you started building applications that way, and I think you had very traditional ops people setting up the networking for people and setting up a uh, you know an EC2 and and you know I don't think a lot of people were doing CI CD at least not like they were <laughs> not, not not like they are now. But so you know, you take that code that a developer would write and someone would you know sort of set up that instance or that environment for you to dump the code into. And then as we move towards things like containers, you know developers are now responsible for packaging their own containers and and requiring the you know the the resources they need or the packages. They need things like that, and then moving even further down the line to serverless, where I mean, in most cases, you don't even have an ops person involved, right? I mean, there, yeah. there's nothing for them to set up sometimes. Um, so that change in how we're building applications—have you seen? You know, do you think that that change of how how developers are getting closer and closer to the infrastructure—that that's you know, sort of one of those things that prompts a, a need for this full stack observability?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and and it's affecting everyone. I mean, it has crossed the chasm. You know, right. I mean, this, this is not just cloud native startups that are adopting this. I mean, substantially every large enterprise that I talk to, and I speak to, you know, usually multiple per week, um, are somewhere along this journey of cloud migration. Mm-hmm. And that includes, you know, shifting workloads from, Data centers, uh, you know, or traditional monoliths decomposing into microservices, moving from data centers into cloud, orchestrating all of this with containers on Kubernetes, and increasingly across the board. Cloud native and traditional enterprise, like you said, moving to serverless because of you know there are certain economies and efficiencies that you get out of being able to take advantage of that layer of abstraction. Right. Uh, that you know that companies of all sizes and across all industries, you know, I mean, it, not just gaming and super high tech and 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 media and commerce, but also financial services and travel and like just every right. everybody is 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 moving toward this and adopting it uh and they're looking for tools that can help reason about the connections between all of these different pieces that they're now responsible for there's there's another component to this that uh you know we're we have been and continue to work hard on at new relic which was a a point that you you touched on earlier this notion of when you have so many components that you have to manage and all of all of these things are moving and changing so rapidly Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't have time to undertake these expensive manual tasks to create all of this instrumentation. And so we've been, uh, you know, for, for over a year now, progressively opening up our platform to accept other types of third-party data, not just our own agent technology that we've been building since 2008, but things like you know, Prometheus and OpenTelemetry. You can mm-hmm. just point exporters at our endpoints and make it easier to get that data on board. Uh, taking all of our instrumentation logic and making it easy to wrap that in automatable uh, frameworks, like things like Terraform scripts and stuff, yep. so you could actually build observability in as code and deploy it at scale. Um, We've been talking about New Relic Explorer, which is our, you know, our, our, our release that we're talking about today. Uh, that's all about the visualization, but it's enabled by a tremendous amount of work that we've done and continues to be underway to simplify the instrumentation. Because as the as the architectures themselves become more complex, uh, it obviously gets harder and harder to to, to keep up. People can't. The, the, frankly, a lot of our, cust- our customers have issues where they can't instrument fast enough to keep up with the change that's happening in their infrastructure. And and so as a result, they have all of these dark areas of their application that are critical to delivering the experiences to their customers, but they don't have observability into what's going on inside of it. And so we've been doing a lot of work to give people tools to get leverage on that problem too, so that they can add instrumentation uh, to all the pieces that matter
0: right now and i know that new relic has done a ton of work uh on instrumenting lambda functions for example like being able to instrument these things where you can't necessarily run the agents and i know there's been a lot of really cool innovations um you know in the serverless space around some of that stuff but i'm curious just from a developer perspective and maybe you know maybe you have some experience here of have seen some of your customers do this how much of that monitoring, how much is your average developer who's maybe building a cloud application working on a team, how much is that developer actually going in and using these observability tools to see what's going on? Like, is that something where they need to be heavily involved in that? Or are you still seeing a, a good separation between, you know, sort of the ops team in, in, in that regard?
1: It's evolving. Uh, we're seeing it change in, in, in a couple of dimensions. The, the developers use Observability data and monitoring tools far more than you know th- than they did years ago. Although there's always been a segment who needed to do that. I mean, New Relic. One of the things that we're known for as a company is being the uh, the the monitoring platform that is the most developer friendly. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this was part of our, our our CEO as a, you know, Lou is a a programmer at heart who still writes code on the weekends, even <laughs> as the CEO of a public company. It's part of our DNA. And I think we've always had a natural affinity through that to the types of adopters who are developers, who who both write the code and and they deploy the code. What we're seeing is, and as our company has grown, that cohort of developers who are responsible for both writing the code and deploying and managing it are Exploding in in you know in in size and scale and the number of those people that are out there, uh, and so we've just been kind of riding that wave, if you will, of uh, of of developers who continue to be responsible for uh, how all of that stuff actually materializes, and and it's now becoming essentially the standard, you know, the standard way of operating. Like I mentioned before, not just for cloud native startups, but at large enterprises as well, and that that blur between. Ops and Dev is fading to the point that it's 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 really difficult to see. You know, as we sit here in 2021, um, that's that's on the role side. Uh, one of the other things that's changing, I think, that's really interesting about just the way people are using telemetry data is uh, the the set of use cases that it's relevant to. Mm-hmm. So historically, all of this data about what's happening in your software. The, the, the canonical use case for when you need that is when something's on fire, right? right. The, the mean time right. to resolution. How, how fast can I get a problem solved? How fast, how quickly can I take something that's red and turn it green, right? Um, it's, it's the classic use case for New Relic and for any other you know tool in this space. But what we're seeing that's evolving is people are using this telemetry data uh, outside of that context more and more mm. frequently. As part of their day-to-day software development, they want to, for example, like, how do you choose where to tune and target your reduction of technical debt? Um, You know, if if we can present observability to you that helps you understand not just the parts that are the slowest, because sometimes things are slow, but they're asynchronous, they don't matter or whatever, but what are the parts that are the slowest that are actually impacting customer experiences in a way that damages your business or damages your brand? So we're seeing people use that telemetry data. Nothing's on fire, but they want to use it in order to better plan and prioritize their development work. Or another example is, um, you know, we've seen a lot of development in this this field of chaos engineering mm. and testing resiliency, not just by, you know, looking at the data and evaluating the architecture or doing things like load tests, but actually intentionally breaking things and then right. seeing how the system reacts and responds to that. Um, a tool like New Relic Navigator is really good for being able to see, or or actually Lookout might even be the the the, the best of uh, of the features that we're releasing now that that help people with this, where you can spot these changes that maybe you didn't anticipate, so you didn't set up threshold alerting or something on, right. but you can in real time see how uh, all of the different pieces of your application change when you go in, and you know you you test the resilience of your system by breaking it. So we're seeing. Continued convergence of the roles, uh, which which brings more and more you know folks into looking at observability data, but we're also seeing a widening of the number of use cases beyond just the traditional firefighting. As um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's a cliche, but it's true. As 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 more and more businesses essentially become digital businesses, mm-hmm. uh, the data that describes how your digital experiences are working are taking on more and more strategic value to those companies, at least the forward the forward thinking ones. And so they're looking for ways to leverage that data and do it in creative ways beyond traditional firefighting. Yeah,
0: so I wanna to talk to you uh, about resiliency and a little bit about, about chaos engineering, but uh, before we move on from this role, I, I'm really curious just your, you know, you've been doing this for quite some time. Uh, and as you see this evolve, Where's the line for developers? Like, how far should we push them down this, you know, getting into the ops role? I know he said it's very blurred, but, um, you know, is it is it at setting up their own automation? Is it is it at doing networking or actually touching infrastructure? Like, where? How far do you think a modern developer really needs to go uh, down that path?
1: Well, it's different for for different organizations, and there's there's not a single pattern that you can apply because it's a complicated enough problem that you know everybody kind of needs to tailor their approach to fit their the the dynamics of the the environment that they operate in. Sometimes things like regulatory compliance come into play and all the rest of that. But I, I think the probably the the at 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 the highest altitude, you know, the the broad trend is we're seeing developers become accountable by default to all of it. Uh, until they reach the point where they can trade off the management to a third party like a cloud provider. Mm. And so, for example, the, the networking and things like that, you know, if you can trade that off to your cloud provider. But when it comes to defining all of the infrastructure, let's do that in code, you know, in an immutable way so that I can automate and deploy and 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 do all of that and handle it as a developer. And so developer and operations, you know, we've been saying this for over 10 years now, but it's gotten to the point now, you know, as I sit here in 2021, where companies of all sizes um, and across all industries, you know, increasingly I, I go in and I talk to people and, and you used to kind of in, in, in the prep, you know, it's like, is this gonna be a meeting with the development uh, group or is right. this the operations group? Right. That just doesn't we just don't talk about it that way anymore. Mm. You know, people are, are accountable to to all of it. There there might be specialties within the teams. Where maybe somebody has sort of a time bias, they spend a little bit more of their time in one category versus the other. But the fact is that you know most people I talk to today, they've got some level of accountability across all of that stuff, which is one of the reasons why. I mean, there's only there's only so much that a human being can do at any given time, right, and so the exactly. the the way that a lot of people are gaining leverage on that is by trading some of those pieces off to, to third parties like the the um, cloud providers. Yeah, no, I think that makes uh, I think that makes a ton of
0: sense. So um, another thing I think uh, you mentioned something about complexity in there, and one of the things we're seeing quite a bit of now, which is sort of a very popular way to develop software, is to go down the microservices route um, and sort of get rid of the uh, get rid of those old monoliths. So as people are building more microservices, and you have multiple teams, which means they probably don't always follow the same standards, and some might be written in different languages, some might be running um, you know in different environments. Um, the complexity of the data that's coming from that and all of that information, trying to organize all of it. um, You know, this is just one of those things where something like New Relic, I think captures, um, it kind of captures that perfectly, right? Where it's like, you've got all this chaos and you try to make sense of it. Um, So just your thoughts on microservices and and sort of the role of of, of some of these tools now to kind of make sense of all that data.
1: Yeah, uh, so it's been... I think really great for uh, engineering teams who've moved to these architectures. It, it allows them to decouple things and move faster. Um, it allows as as more and more um, of of businesses move their revenue toward digital, they necessarily have to scale up their headcount of people in engineering. Which means you now have an organizational problem of how do you right. how do you keep all of these people in this increasingly large organization. Um, productive without creating so many dependencies on each other that they all grind to a halt. So microservices are really great for that. Of course, it's also true that the, um, the magnitude of data and complexity that engineers are are responsible for and accountable to is scaling at a rate that's faster than headcount, <laughs> right. and so so engineers are having to take on more today and they're having to do more with less. Uh, but but microservices help them at least manage the dependencies versus the old monolith architecture. You know, I mean, this is the right. reason why uh, organizations are moving away from from monoliths and toward microservices today. Uh, it does, like you said, create a whole new set of problems for um, observability platforms like Neuralik One to solve for. Uh, you know the, the the relationships. There's orders of magnitude more of these relationships. Orders of magnitude more components. All of that data has to be tracked. Um, it all has to be managed and visualized in a way that allows folks to look at all of this at multiple altitudes, so that you can see what's happening overall, the mission control kind of thing that we were talking about earlier, but yep. but it can't stop there. You have to be able to get very quickly to the individual metrics, events, the logs and the traces and all of that stuff that are happening right around where a problem comes up. Um, for New Relic, it's required us, in order to to continue to serve our customers in the face of all this change, to change almost everything about our platform. I mean, we went from having Probably a dozen different discrete products, right? We had a real user monitoring product, a synthetic monitoring product, a mobile, you know, app monitoring, APM infrastructure logs. We had all of these different discrete products. Uh, in order to, to to keep pace with all this and continue to serve our customers, like we talked about earlier, with the evolving role of the of the uh, the engineer toward full stack responsibilities, to bring all of that together into a single product. That change happened because of. Changes that are happening in the organizations that we serve, and and in the broader application architectures, you know, another massive change that we made is we decoupled. Well, we stopped counting hosts for one thing, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know we used to price all of this by units that just don't really make sense anymore. Right. Uh, in the modern era, how do you count up how many hosts that you've got in a world exactly. where it's going to be different an hour from now? And so, so we stopped. We switched to, you do know how many engineers you have. So full-stack observability is priced by the seat. And then we decoupled the data because, you know, like I said a, a minute ago, the amount of data that that organizations are having to manage is scaling at a rate that's much faster than their headcount. So we took the data and we, we actually carved that out as a separate thing in our telemetry data platform, priced it very aggressively, 25 cents a gigabyte, and then we give people 100 gigabytes a month for free if they sign up for our free tier so that you can in an economically feasible way track all of this data across all of these different services. And that goes back to the the point that I was making a few minutes ago about you know the the big problem that a lot of organizations have is that they just don't have observability across all of their application. There's a couple mm. of reasons for that. One, if the instrumentation is too complex, they can't instrument fast enough to keep up, and so we're we're working on that. Um, you know, we've made We've, we've we've done a number of things to make things simpler, and we continue to make investments there. The other is sometimes it's just not economically feasible. And so we built our whole pricing model and packaging around making it f- actually feasible for people to be able to generate all this telemetry. Now, of course, once it shows up in the database, uh, it's incumbent on us to help our customers make sense of all of that. Right. Hence, things like New Relic Explorer, which we're talking about today.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things I was going to say. I mean, abstraction is very hard, right? When you're trying to abstract anything, it's, a, it's, it's hard to find the right level. So how do you how do you approach all of this data um, without oversimplifying it?
1: Yeah, it, it's 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 hard, right? I mean, we we, uh, there, we we do some of the things that you would expect. We have and we've always had curated views. That are informed by our 13 years of experience helping thousands of companies manage their own data. Um, we also happen to be, you know, a provider of software at fairly large scale, so we have we have a lot of experience, kind of living in the same problem space, obviously, as, right. as our customers do. So we work hard to give people out of the box views to help them understand what's going on in their software, and then of course we've got the ability for you to create custom dashboards. Uh, you know, like you would expect, we have a query language that allows you to interact directly with the high cardinality events that we store, um, you know, on on behalf of our customers. So if you for and not everyone can do this, but, you know, every organization that we work with usually has a as a a small number or sometimes a lot, uh, but but usually at least a few power users who understand the query language and can mm-hmm. get in there with a scalpel and pull exactly what they need out. Uh, the thing that we do that I think is unique to New Relic, though, is uh, for you know among observability platforms, we also added a programmability layer uh, about a year and a half ago. And what that allows you to do is to move beyond just dragging and dropping widgets from a palette to create mm-hmm. custom dashboards. And, and it moves beyond query languages and working with raw data toward the ability to actually write your own code in React.js, interact with our data model using GraphQL, so standards that lots of people know, and you can build truly tailored, bespoke visualizations. And so we've had customers do everything from combine operational data with like weather data, geographic data for people who have like physical points of presence in stores and things like that. You can build your own, we also have an app catalog and an ecosystem where you can go in and you can install things. And so that's that's how we manage it at New Relic. You know, we 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 try to bring a point of view. And and this is where we're always, you know, every company in the world who has this problem and it's a common problem, you know, it's 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 a it's a balancing act that you will you'll never be done with, right? You're always working on it. Right. But we we try really hard to provide people with out-of-box curated views that allow them to be immediately productive. But at the same time, affording the flexibility, not just through custom dashboards and things like that, but actually an application or a platform you can build applications on top of so that you can visualize any sort of way that you want, but not make that ecosystem so like convoluted to navigate and all of that stuff that, that it's impossible to find the, the, the pieces that solve 80% of the problem, right? So you can right. imagine if we took everything that anybody ever did custom, and we made all of those first class objects in the system, it would be so exactly. lo- such a huge haystack that you wouldn't be able to find the pieces that solve 80% of the problem. So we promote that to people as part of our out of box experience. But then we give you the, the flexibility if you want to, and many of our, you know, of our of our longtime customers have adopted this to create truly custom applications to see the data exactly how you need to see it. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think when you have when you have all this data coming in and you're collecting metrics and logs and traces, um, that's great to be able to look at all of that stuff independently. Um, but I mean, you just want to get to that root cause analysis, right? You want to you want to be able to figure out what that root cause was um, and be able to jump in. So having those sort of predefined views, I always find those to be helpful because if you just gave me like, hey, here's all the data, just set up the alerts and the the graphs and everything that you want, um, that usually doesn't get you very far until you can spend days and days and days digging into that. So having that that top level stuff and letting you dig in, I think is a um, is a really really good uh, is a really good way to approach it.
1: Yeah. 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 We, like I said, we try to bring that point of view, you know, it's a, a little bit of a sidebar from our, from our core discussion, but for, for those in your audience who are, who are interested in sort of historical trivia, uh, <laughs> you may recall that, that new Relic got a start in 2008, uh, building in, you know, our founder Lou built, a, an APM product on top of Ruby on rails, mm. which was setting the world on fire. Back in 2008, Twitter was based on Rails and some very major apps were based on Rails. Um, One of the things that was a very defining characteristic of Rails was that it had a very strong point of view. Like, you do not put your controllers in that directory, you put your Mm -hmm. controllers in this directory. Right. (laughs) Right. Right? And so, you know, I I think some of of New Relic's um, sort of early design intent uh, given the fact that it was sort of built, you know, from within that Rails community, was to start with a point of view so that people could get productive as quickly as possible. It's one of the things people right. loved about Rails was you got that really fast out of box experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so over time, as our, as our business has grown, and of course, you know, now New Relic does way more than Ruby on Rails, although you still can monitor your Rails application with New Relic, <laughs> um, the, uh, you have all of this additional flexibility but where the company sort of got its start and one of the things that was we were known for really early on was that developer productivity and uh, that came from bringing a point of view of you know once you get the you you know drop in the instrumentation and you log in and you immediately have insights so we try to hold on to that even as we um, give people more tools to create all these custom applications and everything on top
0: Right. Yeah, and I think I think an opinionated approach to certain things, um, with some flexibility, I, that. You know, sometimes it can steer you in the wrong direction, but uh, but you're right. It, get, it just gets people productive so much faster. So, um, all right. So I want to go back to the resiliency and some of that chaos engineering stuff because it seems like Lookout and Navigator these are those perfect tools, like you said, for sort of doing those chaos engineer or those chaos days or or things like that. Um, so what what are some of your thoughts on just you know building resiliency into these systems and how can how can New Relic Lookout and the the other services under that how can that help you sort of uh, make sure that you you're building resilient systems
1: yeah well so um a lot of what goes into to neuralic navigator and lookout is having the ability to see in real time what's changing in your application right and so like i said uh, many of our for early adopters, for example, when we when we first started opening this up to a small set of customers before we you know we reached our general availability launch of of these features, um, in addition to using, uh, you know the 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 new features for. The production events that were coming from real customer traffic and things like that, right? Uh, they were also using it as a way to reason about what's happening in their software architecture when they're intentionally making changes. That was another one of the core use cases, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that we saw people using this for, uh, and and in particular with with Lookout, because it's zero config, it's really good at helping people reason about these unknown unknowns uh, in software, which is sort of the one of the differentiating characteristics that gave rise to this notion of observability in the first place right was um, you know when a lot of the distinctions that people draw between monitoring and observability is that monitoring was defined by this characteristic of I know all of the failure modes I'm going to mm-hmm. instrument them all with threshold based alerting and then I want to get a page when something breaks and then observability right. one of the defining characteristics of, of it was in contrast to you know the way that people used to do things more and more of the way that software fails today uh, oftentimes it fails, in, in a unique fashion because of all of the it, like they' just there are more variables in the equation anymore right. than you can count because of microservices and all that stuff. Um, and so you have to have a model that allows you to see what is changing and, and not just not just where the changes are, but actually direct you toward the ones that are causing a customer impact without relying on you having analyzed all of the possible failure modes in advance. Right. And so, since Lookout isn't reliant on prior configuration or thresholds, it's just looking for changes and then correlating all of those changes to each other, so you can see where the clusters are, which is a lot of what the problem space that people are solving in AI ops, for example. This is mm-hmm. this is a like an, an exploratory real time versus a lot of the AI ops is about sending you notifications, which we also do. Mm-hmm. But but this is about seeing it when you're actually logged in and exploring what's happening in your software. Uh, Makes it highly useful for those situations when you're doing chaos engineering, and it's something right. that we're seeing. You know, we're far from from a state where everybody's doing that today, but again, you know, we're we're seeing a lot of growth and uh, increasingly companies who are who are solving for those types of use cases. And it was one of the um, things that we designed New Relic Lookout to help people do.
0: Yeah, well, I think if you are At the point where you need to start doing um uh, you need to start doing chaos engineering you probably have a lot of applications and a lot of services talking to one another and i think you know just convincing some team hey by the way we are going to break something um in production to test it Um, if you're going to do that and you can actually convince some team members to let you do that um, you better have a pretty good tool that's going to be able to capture and be able to observe what is actually breaking. Especially even if you have to re- revert quickly, at least be able to see, you know, the history of that and be able to go in and see okay, when with this broke? This particular service is no longer responding or or something like that. But um so are there are there any um you know sort of surprising things you found um you know as people started adopting this stuff?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I thought was most interesting when I, when I was going through our feedback from our early access program, um we designed this for engineers to use, right For people mm-hmm. who are who are in the work every single day to help them do their jobs better. Um, we, it, it, it's, it's common for us to see managers and directors and executives engage in uh, our telemetry data, but it's almost always rolled up to a summary that people are using to to track things like, you know, SLOs and SLAs and right. and, and and maybe correlate that to some sort of a business outcome like conversion rate for a commerce company or ad impressions for media or something like that, right? Like things that are things that are at a higher altitude. Um, one of the surprising things that we saw with the early access program for a uh, new relic explorer was we saw um a use case where a manager who historically was unable because of all of the stuff that we've talked about so far all of right. the complexity and everything it's impossible for them to reason about it and do all of their other responsibilities as a manager and so their their job typically was you know air traffic control you know to get managerial leverage on a larger problem right so mm-hmm. it's like here's something going on over here I'm going to you know, send this to the person on my team who's responsible for it, ask them to look into it uh, as, as part of their job as a day-to-day manager. What we found in the early access program, um, one, of our, one of our use cases in specific that comes to mind was someone who uh, hadn't actually sort of rolled up their sleeves and done the root cause analysis in, in quite a while. Uh, because it's just the 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 complexity required and everything just didn't have time to do it right. um, and discovered an issue using New Relic Explorer but before sending it on to the to the person on their team responsible for it they went ahead and and, and clicked in and said let me just let me just see if i can figure out what's going wrong here mm-hmm. and for the first time in a long time they were actually able to perform the root cause analysis on the thing and send it directly to the engineer outside of their team, who was responsible yep. for doing the work, to actually file the ticket and fix it and all that stuff, um, without having to task it out to an individual on their team to do the investigation. So it probably saved them what a day, two days, maybe at least a <laughs> That's day. A lot of time, right? Yeah. And so, like, you know, th- that was something that that we didn't necessarily expect was that it was going to unlock the ability of um, folks who don't ordinarily uh, do root cause analysis and detailed work to be able to actually navigate to what the root cause was um, in a way that they'd never been able to do before. It was, it was actually one of the more, I think for me personally, hugely validating uh, points that we had achieved what we had set out to in terms of making an interface that people could use efficiently, mm-hmm. when not only the people in your target audience, but also people who weren't necessarily in your target audience were still able to diagnose a problem uh, in real time because the connections were there in the right place. I mean, the data always been there, you know, right. collecting data is not hard. Um, what's hard is, is making it all accessible at scale and like connecting all of it and delivering insights, right? Not just right. piling a bunch of data into a, you know, a, a data lake somewhere or something like that. Uh, so, so when we got that story back that someone was able to, who doesn't ordinarily do this day to day, actually get in and diagnose a problem. Um, That was, it was surprising. It was also really validating for us and for the team. Yeah.
0: I mean, and I think that's amazing. No matter. Uh, what level you are at, you know, whether you're a developer or you're a manager or you're somewhere in between, um, you know, not only do you reduce, uh, you know, mean time to recovery and you can find those problems faster and and, and figure out what the issue is. Um, but that saves a lot of time. I mean, when I, I know I can't tell you how many times I spent days looking through logs and all kinds of things trying to figure out exactly why every 100th time this thing runs, something goes wrong. Um, and being able to go and trace that and uh, and find that information quickly Uh, saves you time, saves you money, saves you, you know, mental anguish, I would think for a lot of these things. So, um, so that's, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. We thought so.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, listen, buddy. I really appreciate you being here and sharing all the stuff um, about uh, the new Relic Explorer uh, and the new Relic One platform. So, if people want to find out more about you, ask you some questions, maybe, or they want to find out or sign up for New Relic uh, One and and use this new this new New Relic Explorer, uh, how do they do that?
1: yeah well for me personally, I'm most active these days on on LinkedIn of the social platform so you can find me there just buddy Brewer. Uh, I'll be the one that pops up working at New Relic and uh, and for New Relic like I, I mentioned um, uh, earlier we have a free tier that is uh, really easy and really the best place for someone to get started who's had no exposure to New Relic. You just go on our website it's up in the top right you know click on sign up. Uh, and, and what you'll get is hundred gigabytes a month of ingest that you can, uh, put into the New Relic platform and one, uh, seat license for all of this stuff that we just talked about today. So you can actually ingest hundred gig of your own data every month and, and go, just go use New Relic Explorer and all the other parts of full stack observability.
0: Awesome. And you can find that at newrelic.com. Thanks again, buddy. Thanks, Jeremy. And that's this week's Serverless Chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Buddy Brewer for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, New Relic. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 90. For more Serverless Chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.